On today's episode of Content and Conversation, Ross is joining me back again. We're going to talk about how we are pivoting our content strategy for 2021 and just some general lessons we've learned about reinvigorating our own blog on Siege Media. Ross, you shared a really interesting tweet a couple months back about how strategically we're rethinking our agency blog. Could you summarize some of that and how we're leaning away towards purely search-driven content? For ourselves. Yeah. So one of the things that happened to us in 2020 is you, Caroline. You came on with Siege and got us some much needed resources on business development. So naturally, we're like, hey, why don't we start thinking about content marketing for our own blog more actively? Maybe we can ramp things up. Maybe we can actually, ironically, now we do our own SEO content marketing for ourselves. So a natural piece of that was starting to throw up some content, not throw up, it's <laughs> not the right phrase. <laughs> Put up great content on our site, as we always do. The element that we were missing, just from a resource standpoint, because of the demand of our clients, we weren't doing that. We still aren't doing any active link building. So we were just seeing, hey, Siege is pretty high authority. We're like DR72. Can we just start ranking for things around content marketing with that in mind? So put up some high quality content, still had some great outcomes from a qualified lead standpoint, but we noticed we're not really ranking very well so far. And the reality is, in some ways, it's not a great outcome from that standpoint. But one thing we noticed is by digging in and just actively spending more time as we've had resources with you on board and more actively at Caroline is that reality is there's a lot of big, massive SaaS companies ranking for these terms, Moz, Hrefs, or people doing it full-time with a ton of resources to content marketing full-time. Not that we don't have resources, but to this specific activity, not as much. So the question is, can we really rank? And the reality is, it doesn't feel like that's been the case. But before I get into kind of one of our things we've noticed that maybe could unlock some growth here, I'm curious if had any other initial thoughts, Caroline, and kind of digging into our strategy. Yeah, it's been interesting now having managed the Siege blog for pretty much six months. We started publishing new content around June. And I definitely thought we were going to shoot to the top, at least like show up on page one, maybe not number one, way sooner than we are. I would say we're just now starting to see some June content appear on like page two. So that definitely made me pause on the keyword strategy that we laid out. And then also what was interesting that happened at pretty much the same time is we were publishing new content, but then some of our really well-performing blog content, talking about blog content from like 2018, 2017, when we first published it, even though we've maybe refreshed it occasionally, those posts were starting to decline and lose rankings, even with new internal links and refreshes. I was looking at the new content that's, you know, just kind of being slow and the old content that's declining. I was coming to a similar conclusion that I also just don't think we're relevant for some of these terms because of those SaaS companies. So an example post, it's a really old post from maybe 2016 or 2017, just on how to find someone's email and has a great accompanying video by Vince. And it's in the top five, at least highest viewed videos on our YouTube channel. And it used to rank 
in the top three, if not number one for a really long time. And it just performed really well for us for a while. And it makes sense. One of our core services is link building. And so we made that piece of content for our own internal training, but also for other people who are doing this kind of media relations and just need to like build a database of emails. But it's just been slowly declining. And instead of throwing, because now we do have more resources, aka me, but I do need to, <laughs> I need to make sure that my time is still being spent efficiently on things at the highest impact. And so it got me thinking like, well, is getting a blog post ranking for how to find someone's email back to number one really what we should care about? Especially when now when I look at the top three, I think Ahrefs is dominating the number one spot with a really great article and it it makes sense. Like they should be in the number one spot. I don't think we want to be anymore. And also the leads that it was generating. Random people. Contacts, yeah. <laughs> email. They're like, Hey, I found your email. So <laughs> how can I contact my long lost lover? <laughs> That's actual lead form submits for yeah. <laughs> a little ridiculous. So it wasn't valuable. Yeah, I hope you find who you're looking for, sir, but we can't spend our time doing that. So yeah, it was just also realizing the older content that was bringing in, you know, organic traffic, but was it qualified? Not Probably not. I think that's generally the case in a lot of B2B content markets that are niche, like ours. Like we're definitely niche. The buyer that we have, there's a decent number, but the kind of companies that can spend 120K plus a year that can do that via search is small. And the percentage of those people that search how to find someone's email address have fit into that is actually zero. That number is zero. Like we've gotten zero qualified leads from that. From every, pretty much every high traffic post we have, <laughs> we really have gotten zero qualified leads. Like we also have like most popular Google keywords. Not one person that searches that is our buyer persona. That doesn't mean don't try to rank for things. I think in most very niche B2B spaces, some of our focus should be on very niche things that someone might search. Maybe it is like finance SEO case study or something like that that's very specific. And it probably could have 20 search volume, but if one of those 20 are qualified, great. So I think we're thinking more of those things. I think linking the link opportunity of those top funnel things can't be overstated. That's still a positive outcome sometimes. So that could be worthwhile. But one of the things in looking at those SaaS companies is it's all relative for whoever's listening to this, it's all relative to your competition in these things. So it's like, even though we're domain rating 72, we are playing in a market where everyone's like 80 plus. We are in Ant, even though we're relatively, compared to the internet, a very high authority site. So it's one of those things where we can't really play in the sand there. And something I noticed is there are exceptions that aren't just big SaaS companies. One of the observations I had, the SaaS companies, and for us specifically, is they have something other than their content strategy generating links. So it's their product, in addition to their content strategy, combines to create this high authority that we as a business, although hopefully Siege is still a very quality product, it's not the same as Moz or Ahrefs, right? So we only are really carrying the weight with very, very small percentage-wise brand authority that their product is. That was an interesting thing I realized is that sometimes you really need the two things connecting together to be the highest growth opportunity while we really just have the one thing today to drive that growth. Yeah, and I'm interested in your opinion, Ross, going back to kind of like the top funnel link component. And I think this is something we were talking about in our last meeting was how do we balance that 
more high level director or above decision maker type topics with the more keyword driven content that's more shareable and social. Because also a lot of times like the big decision makers, you know, some do have like their own active like social media, but not always. I find that like a lot of our clients, the point of contacts, like, you know, they're not prolific on Twitter. They might have like a LinkedIn account, but that's it. They're not really posting regularly if they're in-house. So they might be seeing like the groundswell of content that's being shared by people, other people. I don't know, like what is your thought process there where, you know, is there just value for creating content that has a really good social play that at least gets us mentioned and out there? Yeah, I think there is something to a little more spread and it's still a long-term game in some ways. I think we consider that where it can be top funnel to be a little more, maybe we're trying to appeal to that SEO manager. Maybe SEO managers can hire us, but maybe it is SEO analysts of like how to do something. Like Mm -hmm. SEO analysts grow up and the ones that are doing good research and they care and they grow up into a nice SEO manager. (laughs) We can hook them into our email list. We have people all the time who say, I've been following Siege Media for three years because of the nature of how much they're spending with us and the trust you have to build. I don't think that's a lost endeavor to say, let's play in both fields in that way. And I think that can still be a positive thing to do. So there is an alternative way to rank that I think we might consider probably risky, but we're pretty 20 minutes into this conversation. So we've probably lost half the audience. But, <laughs> so, well, actually, we're only 12 minutes in. So it's oh, fine. okay. Wow. <laughs> well, we can cut and put this eight minutes later. Just have um, elevator music play for the yeah, next eight minutes. Exactly. Later. So if you dig into some of these SEO players specifically, and this is the case in a lot of markets, actually, some smart people are monitoring relevant sites that maybe aren't monetized or aren't being as monetized as much anymore. They're buying them and they're redirecting them into their site. And they are using that equity to prop it up. So Neil Patel has done this. I'm sure it's good for lead generation as well. But if you go into his backlink profile, Uber suggests represents half of his backlinks. So that is just one indication of for him to actually play with these other people, he's actually propped it up with another website. There are other examples. I don't want to out every single example in the market where this is, occurs, but Neil's is the most obvious. But there are lots of people who will do this. And as far as I've heard, kind of what you want to do is never do it just to put it into your homepage and just hope it lifts your site. You need to take that traffic with you, have it have relevancy, and it does have relevancy to Neil. So that is a secondary byproduct that I'm sure is positive to him. But in this competitive market, for us to compete long-term on these terms, I think we would need to consider acquiring another website with existing equity, with a relevant audience, and redirecting into us. So that is one thing we are considering in 2021. We are getting to the size where we're lucky enough that we can consider that kind of thing, which is same thing with Neil. But that's something for your own business that can be a little bit of an accelerant if you keep an eye on relevant things that maybe aren't monetizing. That's typically the intersection. But they have a lot of links. You can put a value on those links. Like we have a lot of podcasts where we walk you through and post it. We walk you through how to do that. 
if you can qualify that and even put a damper on that and, and some carries with you, the math very obviously makes sense. And it's one of the most ROI positive things you can do. So that's another thing we're thinking about from a content strategy standpoint. Yeah. And then thinking outside of just blog content, we're working to think about other content areas of our site or of our brand that people are interacting with that have maybe just been like dormant for a really long time. When I took on this role and started doing more business development for Siege, my focus was primarily on blog content and just getting that up and running because that's like our bread and butter for our clients. So it just seemed natural to like port those skills to our brand as well. Obviously, if you're listening, you know now that we've reinvigorated our podcast channel, which has been interesting and fun for me to explore more, but just more like on-site changes. Something that we did recently was improving our work or basically portfolio section of our website, which was fine the way it was, but it definitely could be better just from like a design standpoint, but also illustrating our outcomes. And something that I realized when I was collaborating with our art director, Aaron, on the UX was in the previous iteration, we just weren't telling our story very well in terms of the outcomes that we provide for our clients. We're doing that really well on the blog side. Like even before I took over, all of our blog content was like actionable and talking about showing specific client examples and showing how you could replicate it for yourselves or hire Siege if you didn't want to do it yourself. (laughs) But that's really putting a lot on a potential customer to like read a full blog post to understand our value. So trying to port that over instead to our work section and focus on just like highlighting our advantages was really important. For people who haven't seen our work section, the way it looked before was we just had a lot of icons on our kind of index page, equivalent of a blog index that weren't very instructive. And we have a team of 35 plus designers and felt like it wasn't really coming across with that look. So what our new design now features is more of that design front and center. So you can immediately pick up on the fact, hopefully, that we do have very quality designers as well as drive great results for our clients and our work. So I think this new section does do that. And one of the things that was a takeaway for me, not just with this section, but I think can be for anyone listening to this, is the site design of your site really highlighting what makes your own company's advantages are or what it's doing differently. Like if you even had a blog section, some people might have a huge library of original photos, but they're not showing like related linking with a lot of those photos. If you're bringing original photography every single time out, but then you're just like showing text links for your other posts as related linking, you're not highlighting your specific content advantage with that design. So like that was a takeaway is we are our V1 Siege. It's a nice site. It was like, oh, I looked at it and said, this looks good. And that was how I thought about it. Now 2020 Siege Media is saying, what are our specific advantages? Can that design both be good and highlight those advantages at the same time, or maybe show the things that you will continue to build more often. You can think about that for your own blog sections or work sections or other parts of your site. I think you'll be more likely to stand out from a brand standpoint, at least from our point of view. Yeah, it's interesting that you just mentioned that because I've been doing, just to throw like a brand example in, but I've been doing some research because we're going to have Jen Matthews on our podcast, who's SEO director at GitHub. And I was researching, just looking at GitHub. And so I could ask her some questions and researching what she's written about. And I just saw on GitHub, they had a, they have basically a glossary page. 
So it's like, what is AJAX? What is HTML? What is CSS, et cetera? And then if you click on one of those definitions, it gives you the quick definition of like, what is AJAX, for example, which I don't know what it is. So don't ask me, (laughs) but it says, what is AJAX? And then gives you the definition. and, And then below it is all of the GitHub repositories from their membership or their customers using that language. And it's like in the thousands because it's GitHub is so huge. So it was just a really interesting way to show their value. It immediately clicked with me when I looked at that page of like, oh, they're not just telling you what this language or tool is, but they're also saying, look at all these free repositories that we have. Look at this community that you're going to join if you sign up for GitHub, essentially. Yeah, and that's that's a great point. I was pulling it up as you were talking, and yeah, just love that of you. Everyone should go check out, like, just search GitHub Ajax, and you'll find that page and the six thousand report repositories using Ajax. No one's going to compete with this kind of thing, simply mm-hmm. because who they are. And that made me think of well, another pivot we've made, Caroline, in recent times is. We're still like, at least short term, we're going to keep making that keyword focus. We're now trying to, we're not going to give up on that. It's going to be, let's use our own advantages and things that we do differently to create that content. And still, in a worst case scenario, it doesn't rank, it doesn't matter. But an example is our content marketing lead, Drew Page, made of the best times to send email. We have a specific data advantage of we're probably sending the most emails in the U.S., or at least most, <laughs> most custom qualified cold emails that aren't. I'm sure there's someone. I was gonna say maybe like Domino's Pizza has a speed, but yeah, cold email outreach <laughs> that's not complete spam. We're not we're not spammy at all. We're probably the highest volume of good outreach. We know that no matter what, when we release that to the wild, that we believe no one else will have a better version of that. Like, even if we socially get good reach from that and sales qualified leads from that, even if it doesn't rank, that's still a positive outcome for our business. And there might be equivalents for your own company. We do hope long term, maybe we have some business that we can think about buying and redirecting into us to build the equity that we need uh, comparatively. But that is kind of one of the dynamics that every business has to consider is like, even though we might really truly believe we're the best result for best time to send email or equivalent versions that we're working on using our unique data, we're still thousands and thousands of linking root domains behind them. So in the way SEO is constructed today, we're not going to rank, unfortunately. So consider that. But if you have the other outcome, it's still positive ROI. Ross, I'm interested in your opinion on finding your competitive advantage and then talking about it. And then where do you feel like you hit the limit that you've talked about it too much? So for example, I know we've had internal conversations about, yikes, a lot of our podcast episodes are about link building. A lot of our blog posts are similar. We don't want to get pigeonholed as just a link building. Like In the end, we're a content marketing agency focused on SEO, and that can mean a lot more than just links. We don't want to you know, just become a link builder. So where do you find the limit of finding that competitive advantage? Because I still think our link building is the best out there. But where's the limit and how much we talk about it? I mean, you should still be you at the end of the day. And link building is still a huge component of that, for sure. But I think a good content strategy is mixed also from an interest standpoint. So I think that's part of it for us, too. And one of the things we are exploring is we do have other data. So we have data 
on blog content. We'll have more studies coming out soon of just specifically what a good bounce rate is and things like that, because we now have unique data advantages of what good content looks like and in turn, what good engagement should be for that. So I think as long as you're considering what your outcomes are and what your goals are, but you're always being considerate of, yeah, what are you saying by saying the same thing over and over again? It definitely can pigeonhole you and you have to be considerate of that, And which is why we we have been more deliberate recently. And some people have, I think, noticed and reached out to us. We're talking about UX design more. We're talking about passive link acquisition more. And I think that is helping in getting us sales qualified leads as well that understand who we are versus the link building vendor that's going to get you a spammy guest post for $300 or something like mm-hmm. that. Right. Yeah, I'm curious what your thoughts on that are as well, Caroline. I agree. I do think it is a balance. My strength lies in like I come from PR. And so my strength kind of starting at Siege was link building. Obviously, I've expanded a lot since then. So it's hard for me just mentally to like not default to those topics, because I also know I can speak the most confidently on that. I do think it is, you know, a blend and finding those data, like new sources of data, I think is what kind of gave us a new angle because we had BuzzStream, which we use. And so that was a great data source. And so enabled us to fuel a lot of link building posts. But then when we were doing more content strategy type content, it was good. But, you know, our strength is really talking around like actionable data, I feel like. And so once we were able to have that aha moment of like, oh, we're sitting on all these Google Analytics accounts (laughs) for our clients, so why aren't we using this? That just like opened the floodgates a lot more on the types of topics we would want to cover. And you also made me think another shift we made in 2020 was really less Ross. It's probably (laughs) for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Who? (laughs) (laughs) We have a lot of great and talented people at Siege. And everyone has their own advantage and their own, like, you do have that great PR background. We have great designers on staff. And that was a specific consideration that I have spent a lot of time working on building an audience and things like that. Personally, not all of our team has, but we wanted to highlight that we have amazing, smart people on staff. And for me to just be talking the whole time is one, a disservice to the great team we have under us. But also, we did get that feedback on occasion. We heard it from other people. We like hearing from the actual team. It shows that you aren't just one person talking and then the rest of the team is not great. Sometimes it's interesting thinking about it feels like best practice to not always go for what optimal reach is when in some ways it might be a step back in a way, but when you really think about your buyer persona and what they're looking for, I still feel that has been very much the right move in 2020 is to get more of our team involved in our content. Yeah, I agree. I've really enjoyed inviting Alex, Leslie, Vince on the podcast. I plan to invite even more people at Siege, new voices on the podcast, having them more in YouTube videos. We took a pause on them because of COVID, but we're starting to ramp that up again in a safe environment. So I'm really looking forward to that. For agency, it helps us a lot from a client onboarding standpoint too. I don't think any client was actively saying when they, you know, would do the sales process with you and then join their team. I don't think they were like, oh man, I'm not working with Ross. Like, because that's pretty (laughs) obvious. Like if you hire an agency, you're not going to be working with the founder. The founder isn't executing that work for you. But I do think it, it helps from a, a transition standpoint, if they're seeing 
you know, a director or a manager that's on the account that has also been highlighted in a YouTube video or talked on a podcast because it's just that like reassurance that's not a complete stranger, essentially. So that I find can be really helpful. I mean, again, just a non-agency example, the G2 team on LinkedIn is doing an amazing job at this. I follow Kevin Indig, but by nature of following him, he'll either like amplify his other team members under the like content team and they'll just start naturally showing up in my feed. And over the past month, I would say I'm seeing more and more like every time I see a really interesting post, it's most likely from a team on G2. <laughs> and it's not, and now it's not always Kevin. Used to every single time, like it was Kevin and his stuff is still really great to read, but now just other G2 members are surfacing on my feed. That's something where we were just talking about with a potential focus for 2021. And we talked about it a quarter or so back. It does feel in B2B specifically, people want to follow personalities over a company a lot of time. Like I bet you could look at the G2 company account and engagement is probably not that amazing besides the same teammates <laughs> engaging with it. But the feeling of the people, even for this big corporation, it has real weight and shareability. I think we get a lot of value and positive ROI from our YouTube channel, but we've been thinking like, there's almost certainly a limiting factor simply because it is Siege Media. It is a commercial feeling brand as compared to personality focus. And that's why LinkedIn's been so powerful for a company like G2 and others like it. Like I see Nextiva very prominently mm-hmm. all the time as well, that they've done a good job of power of personality is at play there. Ross, I know you really want me to start a Twitter account. Can <laughs> can I have the handle just say, my boss wants me to have a Twitter account? <laughs> yes. Stage <laughs> Media wants me to have a Twitter account. That's kind of the reverse of every account you see. Since these tweets are not the... Not endorsed, like retweets aren't endorsed by, are endorsed by me. I can say everything's endorsed by Stage <laughs> Media that I tweet. yeah. yeah. Siege Media does not endorse this. It's like Siege Media forced me to do this. Siege <laughs> Media forced me to get a Twitter account. It's a takeaway. Maybe one of the takeaways here is like, in general, maybe our SEO content is sort of blipping so far. A lot of that is evergreen. I'm still bullish on the future of it. And our content strategy is still doing very well, in my opinion. There's always room for improvement uh, in 2021. And these are hopefully some lessons of how we've thought through that, that you could apply to your own business. But I think it's up and to the right. Besides, for sure, Caroline's Twitter account. (laughs) If you like this episode, don't forget to leave us a review. 